Hey everyone, Athena Dean Holtz here and welcome to the All Things Podcast, where we gather once a week to learn and share stories about how God works all things together, writing a story of good because He is faithful and good. Every Wednesday, I'll chat with a friend whom I know and respect, one of our Redemption Press authors, who will not only share a personal Romans 8:28 story, but also help to give you tips and tools for your life journey. Two episodes a month, we'll have an additional interview with a well-known author, and the other two episodes will include a time for Insider Insights, where I'll share writing and publishing questions from our listeners. However, once in a while, I'll offer bonus content, a special interview that's out of the norm for the format of our show, and today is one of those days. So let's get started. All right. Well, we are back again with another She Writes for Him boot camp graduate, Christine Trimp. She is going to share her Romans 828 story with us today. So first of all, thank you for joining us, Christine. It's great to have you on the podcast. I am absolutely overjoyed to be here, Athena. Yeah. Well, it has been... Um, it has really been a joy to be with you, not only in the boot camp, but then in the tribe and then at the Speak Up conference. So we've, we've been around each other a lot in the last couple of months. So it's been a blessing for me and your story is just amazing. So I am gonna let you take it away and share your Romans 828 story with us. Thank you so much, Athena. Yes, we know and I know now after these uh, past few months that God is continuing to call me for his benefit to point others to Jesus. And as I share my story, you will probably get an indication that I wasn't quite sure what God had in store for me because I didn't realize he was calling me to speak and write until I was almost 50 years old when he totally transformed my life. So I guess I will go back and start where I was before this major transformation and how he reached me and just go from there. I was approaching my 50s and you know, at every time you get to a new decade of life, I don't know about you, but I've always really done a lot of self-reflection, like what am I doing with my life? And when I was approaching my 50s, I was very sick. I was getting chronically ill. A lot of diagnoses were piling up. I was over 100 pounds overweight. I was pre-diabetic. I had been told I had metabolic syndrome. I wasn't even quite sure what that was. Nobody explained it to me thoroughly at the time. I had very painful ovarian cyst, and I also was diagnosed based on the ovarian cyst. When I had an ultrasound, I was diagnosed with fatty liver disease. And that one was the one that really scared me the most. And I began doing a lot of research on my own to try to figure out how I could prevent the fatty liver disease turning into cirrhosis of the liver, because eventually that's where it could get to. And I was very hopeless. I was chronically exhausted. I had tried to lose weight in my own power for three decades through my 20s, through my 30s, through my 40s, I would lose some weight. For example, I would lose like 40 pounds and then I would gain 50. 
I would lose 60 pounds, I would gain 75 pounds. So for me, weight loss has been a lifelong battle. And it more than the weight loss is just soul crushing when I was never successful in keeping the weight off. And in hindsight, I know exactly why that was happening because I used to be a control freak and I tried to do all this weight loss in my own power. I'm an, I'm an upholder. I should be able to do this on my own, right? That was the question that I have to ask myself. And finally, I got to the point where approaching 50, I'm like, okay, Jesus, I am sick. I don't feel well. I feel hopeless. I have no joy in my life. I am not walking closely with the Lord because I'm just so chronically exhausted all the time. I didn't want to do anything. I lived in isolation. I avoided uh, church fellowship. I avoided time with family, friends. Anytime I could get out of doing something, I would just sit at home and commiserate with myself. So deep down inside, I was crying for help. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I have a very supportive family. My husband's always been concerned about my health. And especially as I got unhealthier, he wanted me to get healthy. Um, Not to mention that I had obstructive sleep apnea too, which, you know, (laughs) I needed to fix that for his benefit too. So, but my family has always been very supportive, but they were never like, they didn't nag me about my weight and my health. Um, So it was really something that I had to come face to face with Jesus about. And I was desperate because I just, I felt terrible every day. I had those painful cysts and I was tired. And so I finally, finally, finally relied on Jesus to help me with this. And I said, I have to surrender all of this to you, God, because the heavy weight of my obese body, it just weighed so heavily on my body and my heart, my mind and my soul. Like I I mentioned, it was soul crushing. So with all those mounting health issues, turning over to him, I have been on the most amazing, what I call my joyful journey, because he actually reached out and he heard my cries for help. And he took me on a self-discovery journey with him. And he provided answers every step of the way. When I asked how am I going to, I asked him, how am I going to fix this fatty liver disease? He gave me instruction step-by-step for me in my metabolism. It seemed like sugar was really damaging my body and disrupting my hormones and my liver was taxed and it was storing all the excess sugar as fat in the, in the liver. And that's how I ended up with fatty liver disease. So He's like, first thing you got to do is you got to look at, you know, what you're putting in your mouth and um, how you're metabolizing that. And for me, my metabolism, some people don't have the same type of metabolism I have. So, (laughs) so I was, I'm just one of those people that I, I have to stay away from sugar. And he taught me that very early after I, I cried out to him and it didn't take very long for the ovar- the painful ovarian cysts to stop. And so I knew I was onto something with him and I kept asking for more. Um, so he, um, every morning I would meet him in the morning and 
I, he was giving me more energy, which was amazing. And this was just by quitting sugar at first. Mm. Well, quitting sugar um, got rid of the painful cyst and it also got rid of my daily chronic headaches. It stopped my migraines. And then I wasn't really losing a whole lot of weight, which I knew obesity was my major problem. Um, so I kept digging in with him and asking him, God, you know, show me, show me how I can do this. And he taught me through the quitting sugar part of my journey that he provides um, the discipline of self-control. Mm. And he really gifted me with that because I never had self-control in the past. I, I was comforting myself with carbs all day, every day. And um, through this journey, I also learned that physiologically, I was craving carbs because my sugar was going up and down all day long. My sugar crashed. My body was saying, feed me carbs, feed me carbs. So I did learn through this journey, the physiological part. But of course, the, uh, the best part is the, the uh, spiritual lessons that I've learned through all of this. And so after I quit sugar, I needed more. And then he led me to the low carb lifestyle. And I, I say that he led me because he gave me a desire to continuously learn the science and, and dig into it. It was like, I went down rabbit holes all the time. Like what is, what is going to work for my particular metabolism? And I would read something and it would relate to me like, yes, that's what I've done, or that's how I feel physically when I eat something. So I did eventually end up on a low carb lifestyle with intermittent fasting. And as soon as I quit bread, potato and pasta, he, um, he gifted me with a, an amazing miracle that I lost over 100 pounds and completely restored my body. Physically, I reversed all of the physical um, physical metabolic symptoms and metabolic chronic diseases that I had. Emotionally, I have flipped my moods um, from, you know, just being a very sour person to be around all the time to living in complete joy. And then the best part, of course, is the spiritual journey. He has awakened my soul. And um, given me such um, an amazing testimony to share with people because a physical transformation is very noticeable. So I got a lot of, you know, inquiries and questions and people wanted me to spend a lot of time with them. And I could not believe that God gave me this story after 50 years of ignoring him for my help and, and my healing. And so it has been really just such a tremendous blessing to sit down and to talk with people and to encourage them. And I don't necessarily believe that everybody is like me and has to follow a low carb lifestyle, but I definitely believe anybody that's struggling physically, emotionally, or spiritually, that their one answer is Jesus. And that is what I want to point people to every day. Mm. One of my favorite verses through this whole journey is John 3.30. And it says, um, John the Baptist is talking about 
Jesus and saying that he must increase and I must decrease. And I love that because the, the physical, like physically I needed to decrease, but more importantly, it was me and my stubborn ways and my controlling ways and my prideful ways that needed to decrease so that he could increase. And so that I can, um, through this ministry that he's calling me to do, I can focus on pointing others to Jesus. And I, I just love that. I love that verse. It's one of my favorite verses that I go back to all the time and share with people. And, um, I just love the, the metaphor of it all that, and I, I continue to decrease and I continue to allow him to work on, um, me. And so I was at the beginning of my journey saying that he had restored me and renewed me and redeemed me. And now I, now I I'm like, wait a second, he's still restoring me. He's still renewing me and he's still redeeming my walk with him. So it is definitely a journey, a journey that requires action, a journey, you know, different um, paths and you know maybe there's some roadblocks along the way and as everyone that's tried to lose weight knows that there's always ups and downs in that yeah. and yeah I'm like the biggest part of my testimony is you just got to give it to Jesus and um, yeah the self-discipline is self-control that's a gift from him. It, it yeah. truly is a gift from him. And he talks about that in his word. And we just, anything you're struggling with, I, I really encourage people to, to uh, dig in and focus on that self, self-control and self-discipline. Well, the thing that strikes me that I love and, and what makes it such a great Romans 8.28 story is it's like he used your physical obesity and that struggle and the pain and the shame and all everything that was piled on with that yeah, right and brought you to this transformation so physically the transformation so people are going wow what did you do and mm-hmm. you're able to take that I'm so glad you asked because then you get to evangelize them and it's like I mean, that's called working all things together for good. Right, right. And I, Athena, I used to, at the beginning, like when I got to my weight loss, I'm, I was like, Lord, why did you make me obese for three, three decades? You know, why? What is the purpose of that? But now I know that since I've gone through this, this physical transformation, more importantly, the emotional transformation and best of all the spiritual transformation is I look back and I'm like I I wasn't ready at the time and now I'm in such a better place that and I I've experienced the pain and I've experienced the shame and I've experienced the guilt and everything else so I've done that so I have such a compassion for people that have struggled um, specifically with their weight or any type of chronic health issue. I just have, I didn't have so much compassion for people in the past. And now it's like, my heart is just overflowing. And I just want to like, I just want to reach out and touch everyone and encourage them and say, if I can do this after 30 years of trying this over and over and over again, if I can do this, 
Mm. And yeah, if I can do this physically, but spiritually, I am in such a better place. And it is amazing. That is the best part of the story because I was raised in a Christian home. I knew Jesus. I knew about Jesus, but you would, I would call myself a cultural Christian because I went to church because that's what my parents and my grandparents expected me to do. And now just the way that he, his mercy, he had so much mercy on me. I can't even, I can't even fathom the mercy that he had on me knowing this now and what I've, everything that I've experienced, it's just, yeah, all things work together for his good. His timing is perfect. And I know that he healed me for such a time as this, because right now I'm going through some really stressful things with work and a home situation. And if this had happened four years ago, all the stress that I'm facing, I would be rolled up in a ball in my bed, again, isolating myself and avoiding situations. But, mm-hmm. and, and I've never had so much stress in my life as I do right now. And I'm You're prepared for eating. it. You're still I, I'm still, I'm still going. I'm like, nothing's going to stop me. And I have a lot of things on my plate, but uh, through the past couple months of being in with She Writes for Him and the tribe and the boot camp and the conference, it was amazing. It's like Jesus was just speaking to me through all of that and saying, you need to keep going this journey. You need, we, you've had a few jaunts in the journey, but you know, a journey requires action and you you need to keep stepping out in faith. And that's what I am doing. Amen. So yeah. after yeah. we wrap up, if you could leave our listeners with just a thought. Just that a will, thought. That will just be something for them to walk away from listening to this and think about what, what would that be? Well, I think I told you that through this journey, I finally get all the things. I finally get what it means to be in relationship with Jesus and to be able to display all of his fruits of the spirit. My, my, I just love joy. Like my whole journey has been about joy, but now I love people. I seek peace and patience and kindness, goodness, faithfulness gentleness and self-control and I know it's all about relationship with him and as soon as I learned and you know go through the steps of surrendering all of these hard things to him that is where you can see how everything comes together for his good pointing others to Jesus all for his glory and it is amazing in this, this tribe of um, Christian writers and speakers and authors, it's just amazing to see all these wonderful stories of surrender and people coming out from brokenness and, and despair. And even though we still go through hardships, I mean, God didn't promise us that we're never going to have hardships, but we can all face them with all of, you know, these, these fruits of the spirit that he gives us Mm -hmm. and just spread that joy. It's Amen. all about the joy. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yes. And the surrender, yeah. you know, you think about it and hear all these women that are, you know, kind of part of this greater tribe of Christian communicators. Yeah. It's like most of us are pretty strong women. So <laughs> the idea of surrender is like the opposite end of the spectrum. Right. So it's, I just love seeing how creative God is and how he uses 
just so many different circumstances to bring us to that place of surrender so that he can do what he wants to do with us. Exactly. And it's so so shocking what he wants to do with with us too. It's like, I'm an accountant by trade and now you want me to write and speak and blog and wow. Okay. Okay. Jesus, I'm, I'm game for this journey. I'm, I think it's exciting and, and fun. So yeah, new passions, new tribes. Great. All right. Well, thank you so much for taking some time and being with us today on the All Things Podcast. It has been an absolute joy to oh, it's been an absolute it's a joy. joy. Yes, to have you joy. On. <laughs> In May, God gave me a vision of a movement. He gave me the name She Writes for Him, and I knew it would start as a book compilation, then a podcast and finally a conference. Well, here we are a year later, and She Writes for Him, Stories of Resilient Faith, launched on May 12th, featuring Carol Kent, Tammy Trent, and Dr. Sandra Dalton-Smith, along with 27 brave women who shared their hard stories of abortion, depression, betrayal, loss, and shame, and declared how God worked redemption in their lives. The second edition is finalizing submissions, and best-selling author Liz Curtis Higgs leads the lineup of contributors sharing on suffering, cancer, mental health, addictions, and spiritual abuse for She Writes for Him, Stories of Living Hope. This very podcast launched in February of this year, declaring the faithfulness of God in working all things together for good. And when we had to cancel our in-person She Writes for Him writing retreat in April, we hosted the first 21-day She Writes for Him boot camp online and helped take 40-plus women from concept to manuscript blueprint through 90-minute interactive virtual workshops, daily writing tips, and multiple coaching sessions. As the pandemic continued to interrupt our spring and summer conference plans, God birthed the conference I knew would be, but had no idea it would look like this. A virtual conference with three full days and 33 plus publishing professionals found 400 hungry attendees waiting and ravishing in the wisdom and the love that was poured out through the presenters. We've rescheduled the retreat for this September and still have a few slots open, and another boot camp is scheduled for October. And we've initiated the She Writes for Him Tribe, a monthly membership online where you can learn your writing craft, network, grow, and have a safe place to develop your voice with other sisters who love the Lord. Join the many women finding their writing identity through the She Writes For Him movement at SheWritesForHim.com. All right. Well, we are here with another She Writes For Him boot camp graduate, Natasha Daniels. She shared with me her Romans 828 story a little bit ago, and you're just going to love this story. It's just amazing how God works in this 
sister's life and uh, you're just going to love her. So Natasha, welcome to the All Things Podcast. Great to have you on. Yes, thank you for having me. You bet. And I am just going to give you the floor and say, tell us your story. All right. So, well, my story probably starts like all um, little girls when they were growing up. You want to get married. You want to have a family. Well, I was no different. That was my dream. And uh, I always wanted six kids. So as I grew up, you know, I finally found that man. I knew he was the one. But there was one problem. He only wanted two kids. But I knew that I would solve that problem later. So <laughs> when I was 21, we married in May of 1999. And um, I wanted to have a family right away. Before in four years into our marriage, that wasn't happening. Um, all my friends were getting pregnant. Um, and it wasn't happening for me. And I was getting a little, you know, devastated, like what's going on. Um, and then I started actually getting angry with God because mm -hmm. I lived for him. We went to church. Um, I did all the right things, right? I lived for him. I taught ladies Bible study. I taught uh, Sunday school. I was a children's director, but yet God was not fulfilling the desire that he says in uh, Psalms 37, four, that if you delight yourself in him, he'll give you the desires of your heart. And so I'm like, Lord, but why, why aren't you fulfilling that desire? Um, and it got even harder when my brothers who were not married and who did not serve the Lord and their girlfriends were having babies. Mm. Uh, and so it was really hard. You know, I was, I was angry at God. I started losing some trust and faith in him. And, um, people always used to say, or I'd hear it on the pulpit or friends, you know, God will never let you down. Man will, but God never will. And of course, at the time I was allowing the enemy to work in my mind. And I didn't believe that was true because no man was taking the desire of not, of me not getting pregnant away from me. God was doing that. Um, it was later when I, you know, I remembered that, you know, Jesus is the one that he gives abundant life and the enemy comes to steal, kill and destroy. But that took some time to work through. Right. But um, even though I was angry at the Lord, I still wanted him. I still, it's like I didn't want him, but I still wanted him. I wanted to worship him. I wanted to go to church. I still wanted to read his word and I was still comforted by him. And as I would read his word, uh, more and more, as I was reading devotions, it was talking about adoption. And it was never a thought of mine. You know, I was young. And so one day I asked my husband, hey, you want to adopt? And he said, no, <laughs> it was not his idea. He was not on board with it. So I was like, okay, well, he shut that down quick. So, you know, I didn't think much more about it. But the Lord kept pressing it upon my heart that that was something that he really wanted me to open my heart to. And so, um, the year of 2002, the beginning of 2002, I asked my husband, I said, will you just pray about it and be open for the Lord to use us in adoption if that's his will? And he said, yeah, I'll, I'll pray about it, but I'm not making any promises. <laughs> so I left it at that. At somehow the Lord just gave me some contentment with that and I was fine. And little did we know that uh, that year, our son Micah was, was formed in his mother's womb at that time. And uh, we didn't know. But, um, so we went the whole year and I just kept praying, you know, Lord, well, if I'm not pregnant, then we're just going to adopt. It was just going to be so easy. And that's what was going to happen. Right. Well, uh, so the year went by and, um, I, one of my brothers that wasn't married had a baby. And again, I was like, Lord, why? I just don't understand, you know? And, um, 
I still, you know, wrestled with him a little bit about that. Still not feeling very sure in my, my faith. It was weak. And then uh, January of 2003. So Micah was born in November of 2002. But in January of 2003, we got a phone call from our pastor that said, hey, a family called me and they have a six-week-old baby boy and they're looking for a family that can adopt him. And I just looked at my husband, my husband looked at me and I don't think he expected that, you know, cause we, we had talked about looking into it and God was like, ta-da, here's your baby, you know? So, um, of course we said, yes, my husband was a little, you know, he was walking on eggshells with it, but he, he knew that it was from the Lord. And so we did, we took this, this precious little baby home and we loved him and we got to be his guardians as we went through the process to adopt. And the day before Thanksgiving, he became ours. And so I was like, if anybody has anything to be thankful for, what a day to, to make things legal. So yeah. Micah brought us so much joy. He was, he was very sick when we got him. Um, his biological mom did abuse some drugs, alcohol, smoking. And so Micah did suffer a little bit. And uh, as he got older, we started noticing some developmental delays. He couldn't hear and couldn't talk. Um, but today, uh, he is a healthy talking 17 year old who thinks he knows it all. Right. <laughs> so, um, but after we had him about three years after we got him, my mama heart wanted more. Remember I wanted six, so yeah. I had a long way to go. <laughs> so, um, we tried, we tried to adopt privately again. We tried to, uh, go through the foster care um, it's not easy. It's not easy to adopt. And America is big on kids belong with their biological families. And I'm not against that. But if it's not a good thing for the children, sometimes I think we need to rethink how right. we, you know, take care of these children in this world. But um, it just wasn't happening. Um, when Micah was about 10 years old, we got a phone call that we had a baby girl. Um, we got to drive up to go meet her. She was just born. We went up to meet her. I got to hold her, love her. And then two days later, the mom changed her mind. Oh, so that was, that was very devastating. devastating. Um, yeah. Again, I was angry. Um, by this time we had found out that I had infertility and I was un, I am unable to have children. The reason is unknown, but um, I'm unable to without treatments. Mm -hmm. um, so right before we got the call that we were going to go get that baby girl, we decided to do IVF. It was expensive, and um, but I wanted to do it. I just felt like I needed to try. I needed to do this. And so we did, went through the process. It was a very hard process. Um, I had two embryos that we transferred back into my body, and I made it to about 16 weeks, and they didn't make it. Mm. So uh, the day that the mom of the little girl we were going to adopt changed her mind, two days later, I miscarried my twins. Mm. So... Talk about angry at God. At this point, I was furious. Um, I was bitter with him. I, more times than I care to say how angry I was at him, and maybe some of the words that I called him were not so kind. But I'm glad he's a faithful and forgiving God because I know he doesn't hold it against me. Well, he's got big shoulders. Yes, so um, I struggled. I didn't want anything to do with God for a long time. Like I didn't want to go to church. I didn't want to pray, but, but I wanted him. And I hated that I wanted him. Like I longed for him, but he was hurting me. So why? I didn't understand why I wanted him if he kept hurting me. Mm -hmm. But I kept telling him, I kept hearing him tell me that he was with me and mm -hmm. that he was more precious than anything in this world and that I could trust him. And so I was really struggling. 
So not only did I lose a baby girl and then lose my twins, then my brother yet again brought a baby into this world. So I'm like, Lord, I just don't understand. Um, but this time I was a little uh, jealous of my little niece that was born so much that, and they live in North Carolina, that I told my husband, we have to go. I have to go see her because it's not her fault. Mm. And we went, and of course, when I held her, I fell in love with her. So it, so it wasn't her fault. I just needed to see her, you know, to give me some peace that she was, um, she was precious and she was a gift. Yeah. Um, so anyway, we struggled through that for a little bit. We went back and forth. Um, I decided I no longer just wanted the desire to be a mom with any more kids. I was just going to be content with Micah and that was it. So I tried to put on a fake me mm -hmm. and I was going to find a career and I was going to do something different. But the Lord had other plans and it took a few years for him to give us those other plans. But um, my husband wanted to try IVF again. Um, I wanted to do adoption again. I mean, we had a failed experience on both parts. So I was like, well, either one. But the IVF, yeah, the IVF was very hard on me. Um, it took a toll on me physically, spiritually and emotionally, but physically it really took a toll on me. Um, so we were praying about it. My husband and I weren't on the same page, but um, the year of 2015 in April, our church was um, hosting a program called Grace to Ukraine. And it was a hosting program for, or for orphans uh, that just needed a summer of a lifetime, no strings attached. So of course I went to the meeting and I, again, my husband said, we're just going to the meeting. We're not making any promises. <laughs> I said, okay. So we go to the meeting and, um, you know, they talk about the hosting program and what all it entails. And we were, we wanted to do it. I wanted to do it. My husband, I think just did it because I wanted to do it. Um, so we were looking through the book of who we wanted to host and we decided to host two little boys and they were brothers, Genia and Roma. And, um, so we, we did stuff to raise money. We got them here for the summer of 2015 and we had a great summer and it wasn't a great summer because they were good because they were not good. <laughs> they were rotten. Mm. Um, but you know, they had a rough life. They came from a rough biological parent background and then living in the orphanage was not, um, the safest or best place for them. So anyway, we had six weeks with them and, um, and my heart loved them. And I knew instantly that I wanted to adopt them. They needed a mommy and hey, I was available. So I was ready. My husband didn't see it that way. He just <laughs> saw that they were boys and they were bad. Oh, wow. <laughs> and not to uh, forget the language barrier there. That didn't help. Mm -hmm. right. So at the end of our six weeks, I just knew the Lord was saying, yes, this is what we were supposed to do. And I told my husband, I said, the Lord is saying we are supposed to adopt these kids. And my husband, he's a big guy and he just broke down in tears. And he was like, <laughs> I know I've been wrestling with God and I finally surrendered this morning. <laughs> so yeah, so he surrendered and we set off to do the paperwork. And um, probably one of the other things that I probably should have mentioned is one of the reasons my husband didn't want to adopt the boys is because he wanted a little girl and he wanted her to be five or under, mm. you know, so a little girl is what he was looking for. We already had a boy. He wanted a girl and we were going to be set. Right. Well, when we submitted the papers to start the adoption process with Genia and Roma, we got an email back saying, oh, but they're special because they come with two little sisters who are four and five. Oh. So I said, look, not only is God giving you one little girl, but he's giving you two because you were obedient to what he has called mm -hmm. us to do. So then again, we had to pray about it again. We're like, wait, we thought we were getting two. Now we got to pray for four, <laughs> but <laughs> we knew we were going to. And uh, so we did. We started the process and um, 
one of the little girls, the youngest one, she has special needs. So we were told that she did have the special needs and we were still okay with that. Mm -hmm. uh, so we pushed forward to the adoption and uh, it was a long process. Somewhere in the journey, we hit a roadblock with some paperwork and finances and it almost looked like it wasn't going to happen. Um, and I was devastated. Um, prior to that, I got to go over to Ukraine to reassure the boys we were coming. And then I got to meet our girls and it was precious to meet our girls. Mm. Um, one of the things that's the most special is when uh, I got to meet the youngest little girl because she has special needs. I had to meet her in a separate room than the others. Right. But when um, I got to see her, she was so sweet. And the translator told her I was going to be her American mama. And she just leaped in my arms and mm -hmm. she smelled me all over. And the translator says, why are you smelling her? She says, because she smells different and I want to remember her. Mm -hmm. And I just held on to that because I smelled different than everybody else in the orphanage. You know, it gave her something to hold on to because I, right. I was different. Um, so then, of course, I go back home. We're starting this process. And like I said, we hit a brick wall. I didn't think it was going to make it. And I finally had to just give it to God because, you see, they became my idol. Mm -hmm. I was to the point where whether God wanted me to bring them home or not, I was bringing them home. Right. And God had to put me in my place. Mm -hmm. And it was very humbling. But when I just gave him control and I let him do it, he brought them home. He yeah. did. Um, the miracles, uh, we would need several podcasts, Athena, for me to tell you all the miracles he, he provided all along the way. But um, one, of the, one of the miracles that I think is the most amazing is he, on, um, on Mother's Day of 2015, uh, 2016, sorry, um, we went to church and I had submitted a grant months prior and didn't know if I had gotten the grant. And on Mother's Day, that grant company, um, was at our church and they called us by name in our church and said, we just want to let Natasha know that we have the best mother's day gift for you. And they granted us a $10,000 grant to go toward getting our kids. And it was just like, you know, it was amazing because we, we needed that last little bit and we were, we were chosen for the grant and just to give it to me on mother's day was amazing. Yeah. And then, yeah. And then a year later, mother's day, I was my first mother's day in church with all five of my children. Wow. So the journey was not easy when we were in Ukraine. It was not easy. It was hard. And there was a few times we didn't even know if we were going to make it there. But um, the day before we were to leave to go to Ukraine to get them, we got a phone call from our translator. And she says, uh, Natasha, everything is ready. But I just want you to be prepared that even though you did everything on the American side and you did everything on the Ukrainian side and you paid all your fees and dues, when you get to court, it's very possible that they will tell you no, because your husband is black. Mm. And I was devastating. Uh, I was devastated. It was devastating. I came, I went outside. I told my husband, I started crying and he just looked defeated. And I came back in and I sat on the couch and I was like, Lord, why, why are you doing this again? You know? And I heard him say, Natasha, go read Exodus three fourteen. And in my mind, I'm thinking who reads Exodus? Like no offense, but I'm like, who reads <laughs> Exodus at a time like this, you know? But the scripture says, God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. And I felt like that's what God was saying. He was like, slick and Natasha, go to Ukraine and you tell them I am has sent me here to bring those babies home. Mm. And that's exactly what he did. So um, there's a lot that went on in Ukraine, which will be coming soon. <laughs> in your book. But, uh, yes, yeah. in my book. It'll be coming soon. But just a little about, um, you know, uh, 
when we got them home, you know, the language barrier was hard. The, the past that they suffered of abuse was hard. And we had to break down a lot of barriers. We had a lot of healing to do and uh, they had a lot of anger, but me and my husband had a lot of love. Mm. And um, I hold on to, you know, first Corinthians 13, 13, the faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. And I truly believe that is what made our family what it is today. We've bonded. They truly love. They've called us mom and dad the moment we stepped into Ukraine, like not once because we weren't going to make them. Right. They chose to. Yeah. Um, and, uh, they chose, they just chose to love us and they're grateful and they're thankful and I'll be cooking dinner sometimes and they'll say, Oh mom, thanks for cooking. And I'm like, you don't always have to tell me, thank you. I'm your mom. That's what I'm supposed to do. And they'll say, yeah, but not all moms do. Yeah. And, um, and so they're just so grateful. They're really good kids. Mm-hmm. Um, after we got them home, we shared Jesus with them. We kind of took a sabbatical from church. Not everybody agreed with that, but my husband was adamant that we were his congregation and we and we needed him and he needed us and so we grew as a family of seven and we learned to love and bond and they learned english in a summer it was amazing like they learned english in a summer and then our youngest one she was a uh, she was not well we didn't know that she was going to make it she had hydrocephalus and in ukraine they didn't know how to help her so um two months after we were home she was in she had to go undergo a major brain surgery um that saved her life So, um, from there, she's still, we're still fighting some battles, but she is full of joy. Um, her name is Vika Mm. and in Ukrainian, it means Victoria, which means victory. And she definitely lives up to her name. Yes. She has so much joy. And yeah, and she gives me and her daddy, we're like, we have no reason to complain about anything in life. Yep. So, um, so, you know, our journey was long when we adopted and our journey was long the first year we, um, we lost friends along the way because our life changed. You know, our focus was somewhere else. We lost friends when we got home because I was a mom of five kids. I couldn't just get up and go anymore. Um, And, but we gained new friends and friends that support us and friends that we have now, you know, the, how God always, he, he's always faithful to give you who you need when you need it. So we're thankful for that. Mm. One of the biggest things I think on our journey though, is uh, how much we were I always picture Jesus when he was uh, saving people, but he was saving people and he was healing people and people crucified him for what he was doing. They, they spit on him, they yelled at him and only very few people supported him on our journey. We had that same, we had that same thing. We had people that stood by us and that encouraged us and did everything to help us get to the point we needed to get to bring them home and prayed for us. And then we had others that, you know, why are you adopting from Ukraine when you could adopt from America? Like I chose that, you know, I mean, right, right. That's where God sent us. I don't know what to tell you, but we didn't have, a, we had, we didn't have a lot of support. We had a lot of pushback yeah. and I felt like Christ a lot at that moment. Like this is must how he, he must've felt this way. Like, but, but you're supposed to love me. Like, you know, me, you know how much I want children, you know, right. but yet you're giving me so much pushback. And, um, and at the point when it got so hard for us to bear the cross, we had some, we have still have some amazing friends. Um, the Vomers, they were the ones that picked up our cross every time and helped drive it home. Mm-hmm. And so I always think of that story about Jesus. You know, it was when it got hard for him and he couldn't carry the cross, someone carried it for him. And so the Vomers are the ones that carried our cross and I'm forever grateful for them. Mm-hmm. And to this day, they still carry our cross when it gets a little heavy. Yeah. Um, 
But you know, I, I think my biggest thing that I want to share with people is uh, to seek joy in any journey or trial that we go through. I missed a lot of that because I wanted a lot of me and because I wanted God to delight. I wanted God to de- give me the desire that I, because I was delighting in him. Right. But really he was reminding me all along, but I want to delight in you and give you my desires. Mm. And his desires were not for me to not have children. They were just for me to have them a different way. Right. Um, because if I would have had my twins, we would have probably said no to the adoption. Exactly. And they needed me. And so, and I needed them. So, um, so that would be the main thing is just seek joy in, in your journey because it's there, but we miss it so much and we don't see it till afterwards. And it's like, oh, if I would have just basked in that right at that moment, I wouldn't have had so much anxiety or I wouldn't have let the enemy have so much gain on my part, you know? And uh, another thing is just to, you know, suffer strong. Cause uh, I did a lot of suffering and a lot of times people didn't think that was suffering. People that don't have infertility issues or don't adopt, they don't understand that it's suffering. Right. It's lonely and it's, it's a suffering that you kind of suffer alone until you find somebody that can share that with you. And to remember just to hold on to hope because it heals. Hope heals. Jesus heals. And uh, he healed my brokenness and he healed the brokenness of my children. And when I say the brokenness of my children, my children had a lot of brokenness. So um, I'll leave with this. Romans 15, 13 says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. So Mm. I just love your story. And thank you so much for spending some time and just sharing that. And I'll have you on again once your book comes out and (laughs) do a longer interview. But this was just full. I mean, it was delightful. Yeah, Yeah, there's so much more. It's hard to shrink it. (laughs) Yep. But But just the highlights. You got the highlights and they, you know, it's, you have a Romans 828 story on steroids, girl. Yes. Yeah, thank so you. Thank but you God so is the much. one. He, I'm thankful for the story he wrote, uh, but not to mistake that I was not happy in the beginning of it, but the ending, the ending is beautiful. Amen. So thanks for joining us today for the All Things Podcast, brought to you by Redemption Press and the Romans 828 Bookstore. So, hey, I'd like to ask you a favor. If you would consider sharing this episode with your friends on social media, of course, only if you thought it was helpful. Or if you haven't yet left a review of the podcast on Apple, I would really appreciate it as, you know, it'll help other people find the show and let them know it really is a good one to listen to. So thank you so much for listening today, and I'll see you next week.